This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. So much to talk about today. I don't know how much we'll dwell on what happened with the Twins. Uh, 10-0 loss to Seattle. But I want to get to uh, MLB's enforcement crackdown of uh, on the on the sticky substances putting, putting on baseballs. It sounds like a 10-game possible suspension now for pitchers who were caught cheating. I thought there were some interesting reactions from the Twins in Phil Miller's story today. Much more interesting, in fact, than the 10 nothing loss. I got Ben Gessling coming up here in just a little bit, talking football, talking Vikings. A lot of interesting storylines from minicamp so far. Um, not necessarily always the most newsy time of year, but it certainly has been for the Vikings. Also want to talk a little bit about Kevin Durant and the game that he had for the Nets in Game 5. Might have been Maybe one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen in any sport, and that is not hyperbole given what he did in that game. But first, what did I miss? I'm going to talk about the Lynx. Uh, fall to 4-6 and six with a really disappointing loss to Chicago on on Tuesday at Target Center. Gave up 105 points, a lot of turnovers, like 20 turnovers. They just couldn't really get anything going in that game. So it's just a, a slow start to the year. I know they... You know, they, they were missing Nafisa Collier, some, you know, really key players early in the season as they waited for, you know, everybody to arrive after playing overseas. But something seems off with this team right now. Cheryl Reeves seems particularly irritated uh, with what she's seeing on the court and, and, frankly, her own performance. There were some interesting quotes from her after the game, and I want to play some of those for you. Let's let's get to the first one. Our, our Kent Youngblood uh, who covers the links for the Star Tribune, asked her basically at the outset about the defense that gave up 105 points. What defense? I didn't, I didn't see us play any defense. So clearly setting the tone there of being unhappy with everything that happened in the game. Got asked a little bit later about you know giving up so many points, I think 39 points in the first quarter and not having much of a response for anything Chicago did in that game. Uh, being at home, I think, is, is no, no question that's that's worse to come in here and have a team punch you in the mouth, basically knock you out in the first round and have have no response to it. You know, we, you know, we, we cut it to two, and then we just had a group that I, I left some people in there that were just not here tonight. And, uh, you know, we had it to two, and, and then, you know, I'm, I'm playing people that weren't very good, and then they were able to, you know, get it back to, what was it, nine at halftime, um, and then started those same people and, and uh, you know, saw the lead grow, grow again, and we just could never – Never get back in it. Now, you don't hear coaches talking about players like that very often, basically saying, you know, I, I had a bad lineup out there for, of players who weren't playing very well in this game. Um, you know, taking some of the blame by, by saying it was a poor decision on her part, but really kind of throwing players under the bus with that sort of comment. But in the next breath, she totally ripped herself when she was talking about the offense in the game. We're just, that's just, you know, it's bad coaching. Um, that's who we are. Um, I can't coach offense, um, you know, 32 points off turnovers. It's every game. So I have to continue to try to find answers. I'm a bad, bad offensive coach and I've got to figure it out. Uh, Lynx are last in the Western conference, four and six, not a hope is lost, but you know, WNBA season does not last forever. It's only 34 games. So two more coming up quick against Dallas, a team similar to them in the standings an athletic young fun team. Link's got to get it going, um, or this season kind of like you know what we've seen with the Twins is going to get going to get old fast, essentially, and it's going to it's going to catch up to them quickly. 
even if they do get that Olympic break to kind of recharge. So I'll be interested to see, you know, this is a team that had very lofty expectations coming into the season, coming off of, you know, going to the going to the final four of the WNBA last season in the bubble. Can they duplicate that this season? Is this just a slow start they can shrug off? Or is something with this roster construction or the dynamic on this team going to be off? I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Ben Gessling. Does a great job covering the Vikings for the Star Tribune right in the thick of minicamp. Ben, um, Tuesday was the first day of it. Kind of a newsy week it's been yeah. so far with Daniil Hunter getting his deal restructured, Sheldon Richardson signing. Uh, both those guys were there Tuesday, from what I understand. Um, Kellen Mond signed his contract. Not that that's unexpected, but lots lots to get to. And I want to start right off the jump with, with the Hunter stuff. And, you know, we kind of wondered how this was going to play out. Didn't look last week like he was probably going to be at minicamp, but then kind of 11th hour, they, they, they get this done. What do you know about how this came together and what do you think of the the way the Vikings were able to at least you know make him temporarily satisfied with with his deal well it's an interesting approach from them because you know we got this thing last October kind of from his camp that without a new deal without made that makes him the highest paid defensive end or edge rusher I guess probably is how we should classify that without a deal that makes him the highest paid in the league at that spot, which is currently Joey Bosa at $27 million a year, he wants to be out of here. So the Vikings were in a tough spot in the sense that he was coming off of a neck injury. He had three years left on his deal, so didn't have a ton of leverage health-wise and would have forced them to kind of break this precedent that they've set that we won't touch deals with this much time left. So they kind of created a, a door number three for themselves, which – you know, again, Rob Brzezinski is, uh, it proves to be very good at what he does, where they basically said, we will advance your salary a little bit this year. We're, we're going to take some of it and convert it into a signing bonus, which also then gives us more cap room. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing. But they, they do that, and then they say, we're going to stick this $18 million roster bonus in there next year. So it, it, that is there as a trigger, essentially, where he either gets a big raise or you're going to do a new deal for him at that point. Or you cut him and say, we're moving on, and you get a chance to be a free agent. But it's also the fifth day of the league year, so they can hold him out past the start of free agency. I mean, they put a lot of mechanisms in this that they typically use for players where they are reducing their salary. I mean, some of these like trigger type things are what they put in for Riley Reef, or you've seen them use some of this stuff with, in some ways, Anthony Barr, where the, the contract can essentially terminate early. So it, it's an interesting way to do it, where you're you're rewarding a player who is effectively threatening to not show up if he doesn't get the money he wants. So it's, it's a really interesting approach from them. I think it leaves Hunter happy. I don't know if I'm, if I'm Hunter's agent, if I'm sitting there saying, boy, we showed them because you kind of didn't after all of the talk about we're 
going to draw a line in the sand. He's not going to be here unless we, he gets Joey Bosa money. But if you have him here and he gets a chance to show that he's healthy and he's still the same guy, you're going to figure it out because you need him. And, and he certainly is one of the best in the business. So um, it, it was an interesting way for them to solve, I think, what was going to be a very big problem for them if he wasn't here. So uh, be interesting to watch from here after that neck injury, how he how he performs. He didn't have like contractually, he didn't have much leverage. And then obviously coming off of 2020, um, not playing, that doesn't give you much leverage either. It did. It, the, the only leverage he really had was the Vikings need him in 2021. And that's kind of how he was probably able to finesse a little bit of extra money now. And then, you know, maybe, you know, maybe by getting extra money now that results in, you know, more money long-term if he gets a new deal next year, then some of that money's already been converted, but yeah, it was interesting to me, and it's uh, you know, it does seem like they they found the money somewhere. Let, let's play the let's play the sounder right now. Where's the money, Brzezinski? Okay, you already referenced Brzezinski, but uh, he he's the you know he's the cap wizard. Is did some of that money go straight to Sheldon Richardson, who they signed uh, officially on on Tuesday, or is that not a, a one for one match? I mean, it it is in the sense that they create you know, basically that much cap space to then go give to Richardson. I don't think they needed the cap space to do the Richardson deal. They had already created enough with the the Kyle Rudolph money coming off the books. And Richardson said that the offer had been on the table for a couple of weeks. He was kind of mulling it over between that and going back to the Browns on a smaller deal and ultimately decided to go to the Vikings. But I, so I don't think they had to do that. I do think what this does is it allowed them to sign Sheldon Richardson and they're in no worse a spot with the rest of their business. Now that they've got this thing done to, with Daniel Hunter, at least for now. And the other thing they, the rest of their business still includes probably an extension for Brian O'Neill. I mean, that that's probably the next thing on the list. And I would think they'd try to get that done. Uh, you know, th- that feels like the one that they, they when they like to kick off training camp yep. with a big announcement, that would be the one I'd keep an eye on. I, I think they'd love to bring people back, bring fans back and say, hey, we got this new deal for Brian O'Neill next month. So and it would allow you to do some of that and and probably structure it in a way that you put a signing bonus in there this year and, and put some of the, the cap into into this year without mortgaging too much in the future because they've got a lot of costs they've kicked down the road into the future so i think that's probably a lot of what it does i I think they would have been able to sign richardson either way but this makes it so that you can do a few more things like an o'neill extension uh, down the next couple of months and still probably have enough money for the rest of your needs for the year Richardson, obviously, you know, he's been here before 2018. He was, he was good. He was, you know, he fit that team, that team, you know, under underwhelmed. It was just the, you know, the wrong fit, whatever, eight, seven and one, he was gone after just one year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just the one. And he, I mean, he basically, I, I thought he played well enough. I, it was, that was a good line. I mean, that was Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, Sheldon Richardson and Linville Joseph that, I mean, the issue that year became more that those corners got picked on and, and they kind of started to get schemed a little bit. I, that was the year that Sean McVay kind of laid bare everything that was uh, ailing that secondary. I mean, and Kyle Shanahan a little bit earlier, I think in the first week, the Vikings won the game, but 
kind of the blueprint became a lot of the things that both of those offenses do to them. And it, it became, I think, the thing where they wanted Richardson back, but it got expensive and they had other needs as they've tended to have. And um, they just decided not to to pay him because they had so many other people to, to keep happy and to sign. But yeah, I, I think it's a, a move that, brings back a lot of what they've looked for and you know, a lot of what they wanted the first time they saw him, which is interior pass rush. I, that is something they haven't had. Daniel Hunter certainly provides an element that they needed very badly. But the last time we saw Daniel Hunter on the field, they moved him inside in that playoff game against the saints with Everson Griffin, because they wanted that mess, that mismatch with those pass rushers against the saints interior alignment. So if you have the ability to mix and match a little bit and put Sheldon Richardson on the field, I'm very curious to see what his role looks like with you. Cause you've got now Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce, who were both big signings. And then you gave Sheldon Richardson $3 million in guaranteed money, which means this is not a camp flyer. And I wouldn't expect that he'd sign a deal that would make him a camp flyer anyway, but he's going to have a role. And is it as a pass rusher? Is it as Andrew Kramer has talked about a little bit, did they mess around with some three down linemen kind of fronts where you have bigger bodies in there and you stand up some guys like Hunter? I mean, you know, there's, there's ways they can mix and match. And I'm curious to see how this goes because it's not a pickup that you felt like was the most obvious thing in the world. But as you look at it, like, yeah, if, if you can fit it in and you find a role for them, you know, why not? That line becomes pretty good, especially when you think about, you know, compared to last year, you got, you know, you've added, Hunter back theoretically from injury. You've added Richardson Pierce who opted out last year is back in Tomlinson. Now, I mean, that's a, a major upgrade yeah. on that, on that piece of things. Another one year deal though. I'm just, I'm curious, like they've, they're loading up on these one year deals and that's, that's fine. They fit it all in this year. Well, who's going to be on the roster and what are they going to, how are they going to pay these kind of backloaded contracts as the year goes on in 2022 and yeah. 2023? Are they just, we're going to worry about that when they come. Well, I suppose the 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 flip response to that would be if they don't win this year, it's not going to be their problem. Yeah, I that's mean, true. You could you could make that case that but, let's but they're trying hard to win. But they're trying hard to win this year, and if they do it, it's going to be their problem. Yes, it is. Yes, they are trying very hard to win this year. But I think you probably figure. I mean, you're signing guys in some cases that are only worth one year deals, which yeah. then makes it probably a little easier to bring those guys back given their stage of their career or or wherever they're at. But it also, I think makes it, it's a reflection of the fact that you have questions about these guys yet. You have Sheldon Richardson, who is, I think going to be a a nice contributor, but will be 31 in November. Patrick Peterson is coming off of two very subpar years by his standards in Arizona. He, you know, he was one of the best corners in the league for an awfully long time and wasn't that good the last two years. I mean, struggling in coverage. So you're you're betting on him getting back to what he's been in the past. You're betting on McKenzie Alexander coming in and playing a role. Um, it's They need a lot of these things to hit. And they need Dalvin Tomlinson to be good. They need Michael Pierce to come in and be good. I, I think that those are probably surer bets than a lot of these things. But, man, it, it does – tell you that i think uh brad spielberger who who does a good job over and over the cap tweeted something like this yesterday he said i think every week mike zimmer 
watches tape of the 2020 defense and tries to make sure that he doesn't see anything like that ever happen again. It, it does tell you the degree to which misjudging the roster, as he put it, probably was stuck in his craw after last year because they are not simply counting on a lot of these guys they drafted last year just getting better. The, the approach has not been, oh, they're in year two. They've got a full offseason. We're going to be fine. It's been maybe they'll be fine, but we can't count on that, and we have to give ourselves some options if we don't have that. I kind of think at this point, I mean, they, they've added so much on defense, and if you imagine that Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr can you know, give them a, a decent amount of production and, and health this year, they're, they're okay at linebacker. They've had so many corners. They're, they, like you said, they've totally remade that defense, and the offense wasn't really the problem last year. They were you know, in the top 10 in the league in a lot of different categories, the DVOA. You're talking about football outsiders. You're talking about yards. You know, points was you know little inconsistency, but that wasn't the problem generally last year. But I'm still wondering about the offensive line. I'm, I'm I've got my 365 day a year concern uh, about that, and they still does they haven't they haven't made that kind of veteran move really on on the offensive line, have they? Or am I missing a am I am I missing a body or missing something more than just like a depth? move on that spot they haven't made the move unless you count bringing dakota dozier back or, i do I not can, count that no, no i and nor they, should and they, they made that swap of like a fifth or sixth round pick for somebody too right yeah like, mason cole mason cole. Um, yeah. that was the one and and that felt like a little bit of a well we're the the draft isn't good this year and the back end of it we're going to do better with a guy like this than we will find in the draft so that may have been part of that move, but no, they haven't made the type of acquisition that makes you think, okay, this guy's got some pedigree in the league and we're going to be fine. It's very much built on improvements from Ezra Cleveland. Uh, Garrett Bradbury is starting to figure things out in what's going to be a pretty pivotal year for him here in, uh, in year three, right? Year three or year four? I'm trying to keep track of uh, Yeah, year three. Year three, I think O'Neal was 18, Bradbury 19. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. So year three, because yes, the, the, the fifth year option for him, the decision comes after this year. Uh, so you need him to improve. You need Christian Darasaw, I think, to be a left tackle. And yeah. I think they'd very much like Wyatt Davis to be the right guard because he adds some some beef to that line. But the, it's telling, I think, that we haven't seen either of those guys working with the top unit yet on the offensive line. And that could be them trying to play things slowly. It could be, I mean, Derisaw is coming off of that surgery in the off season that they could be taking things a little bit slowly, but it also could be a, okay, we need to see you guys come out and prove that you can handle the job before we're going to give it to you. I mean, they talked the way they talked about Derisaw after the draft was that they thought he'd be the left tackle. And, the fact that we will go into training camp in all likelihood not having seen him with the ones tells you that there's still, for whatever reason, some work to do yet. Great. Now it sounds like they're they got you know Brian O'Neill, like you talked about, is a extension candidate. He's kind of the one guy where you're like, okay, we kind of know, kind of know what we got there, and then yep. there's four yep. kind of unknown spots. And that's a we've talked about this before, but that's a dangerous 
tricky way to live. It just seems like when you're, when you're trying to cover all your bases and I, I know, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do only there's a, there's a limit to how much you can spend even when, <coughs> excuse me, there's a limit to how much you can spend. Even when you have a cap wizard, like Rob Brzezinski with you, it's, it, it just strikes me as odd. And maybe there's a move yet to come. Maybe they've got enough room now where they can add another depth piece, whether it's, you know, someone who can play guard and tackle or someone who can play guard and center, something like that. Maybe there's one more chess chess move to come. And then, then that makes it feel like it's going to be a little bit more stable, but that, that's one still, more. That, Oh wait, that's not the position that applies to. What's that? I said just one more. Just one. But, oh, that's, that's not the position that applies to. Seems like offensive line is just one less. Um, what uh, what else did you see on Tuesday that that we should that we should know about? What what struck you from you know just being able to see these guys on the field? You know, in in you know getting getting in this work on uh, you know on, on the, in the mini camp this week. Well, I mean, I think the the big question going forward is going to be how these corners shake out. And we haven't gotten a great sense of that yet because you're still seeing no Cameron Dantzler, which is worth keeping in mind because we haven't seen him quite a bit and injuries have been a concern with him. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, Brashad Breland is still recovering from shoulder surgery. Jeff Gladney is still not there. The fact that they are still kind of without a lot of these guys and that they're still – you know, having guys like Harrison Hand, second-year guy, play pretty big roles is, you know, worth keeping in mind, I think. It's just – it's one of those things that not quite where they want it yet. And, and you have some new pieces yet that are still getting used to things. But it's um, – the the level of fluctuation with that group yet, I think, is probably still something of a concern. I, on a brighter note, I think the guys that have – the tight ends have looked awfully good. And I, I think they have two guys there in Irv Smith and Tyler Conklin that they like a lot. Conklin has just gotten a lot better, I think, hmm. overall. He's as, as a receiving candidate, we saw it late last season, but he's continued to look really good. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. And uh, they sound like they're they're high on Amir Smith-Marset, and we'll have to see if he can carve out a role. But he's he's done some nice things here in some of the, the OTAs that we've seen and, and again, in minicamp today. So there, there's some kind of tertiary options in the passing game behind Thielen and Jefferson that are, I think, worth keeping an eye on as they, as they develop here. The last thing we could probably got to talk about the quarterbacks. Um, you, you know, so you wrote, they did well in drills. Looked like they ended early on Tuesday. I don't know what they did. It's what, like club mad over there. Yeah. Right. We've got a mini camp. We got three days, but one of them is going to end early. And knock off early boys. Good job. But uh, it's like cousins threw some touchdowns in that Kellen Mond who signed his rookie deal. Uh, he, he threw a touchdown during that too. Any insights or thoughts into how, especially Mond looks in, in, you know, in, in this early going. Yeah. I thought he was better today. I mean, he, he had some accuracy issues at times uh, earlier in, in camp, but yeah, threw a, a nice, Passed to Shane Zilstra there and had another connection, I think, with uh, with Chad Beebe, I think, earlier in the practice. I mean, really, I thought all of the quarterbacks did some nice things. And, and Cousins hit some throws last week in the open, open OTA that looked better than what we'd seen the week before. So, I mean, there's still some work to, to do with that group. And I think you're going to have, especially with the young guys, a lot of things left to 
to work on. I mean, they, Jake Browning threw a touchdown late in that practice in the red zone today, Hit, threw a nice ball to Brandon Dillon, but it was one, it was kind of one of those back over the middle throws that you're saying, eh, if you did this in a game, this may not end so well, but uh, you, in the moment, the accuracy and the ability to fit it in was, was a good thing. Even if the decision was maybe not one that will get him the best grade from his coaches, but, yeah, overall, I thought those guys looked better, and I think Mond has started to look a little bit better overall. But, uh, yeah, they're still in a spot, I think, where if if Kirk Cousins ends his impressive durability streak at some point this year, they're going to have some things to figure out. Scheme-wise, have we anything look similar, different? I know they probably don't like us to talk about you know specific formations, but are we getting a sense of, this offense, you know, I know there's a there's a coordinator change against the yearly you know, the yearly change. Um, does it look the same as it did before? Are we seeing any subtle differences, or is that that going to be more of a training camp thing than a than a mini camp and OTA thing? I haven't seen a lot yet. I mean, it's been I think fairly similar to what they've done in the past at this point, but there could be more things that come out, and I think a lot of it is just going to be. You know, you could you could run the same scheme and not have a ton of new exotic things, but even the the play calling tendencies, if those change, which we won't really know until we get into games, that could be a significant difference. Just if you're in fewer of those second and long runs, and you know, just not leaning as much on early downs on Dalvin Cook, I, I think would be a fairly major change, and would tell you that Clint Kubiak has developed some power in that organization fairly quickly because as we know if you are going to throw a lot on early downs you have to be either be able to stand your ground or convince your boss that it's a good idea because as a matter of principle we you know we talk about the 2018 season that was yeah. a lot of what went wrong that year it's just <laughs> that the two sides not being able to see the same way on how the offense should best operate so if any of that changes it i think will tell you that clint kubiak has earned more of Mike Zimmer's trust than the last first time offensive coordinator they had did. And I'm, I'm excluding Kevin Stefanski from that a little bit because he had a, you know, a few games at the end of that 2019 season, but overall they were still, you know, kind of tailored to this Gary Kubiak type scheme. And it was, we're going to run the ball a lot. So if there's any, shift back in that direction where they're throwing a little bit more on early downs and it's met with more um, complicity, I guess, from Mike Zimmer, that would, that would be a significant change. You really want to earn Mike Zimmer's trust. You should play for him on defense previously. That's, that's what Clint Kubiak needs to do. Cause they, Clint Kubiak is a former college defensive back. There you so, go. Maybe, maybe Zimmer's what? got a, a soft spot for him. We'll see. Well, it was the same thing with Kevin Stefanski. I mean, both those guys were college DB. So maybe they can go in there and, and butter Zim up by breaking down some, uh, some off, some off coverage technique and, and what you work on <laughs> on third and eight and how much cushion to give a guy. I mean, you know, we all have our love languages, and I think for Zim, finer points of cornerback play, maybe yet. <laughs> love it, Ben Gessling. Good stuff. We'll do this again at some point uh, as we get closer to training camp uh, and uh, follow Ben's coverage of mini camp this week. Start to be and start to be.com. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Mike.
Really good talking to Ben Gessling as always. And Wednesday figures to be a busy day as well. I think Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins, and Daniil Hunter, and maybe Eric Kendricks as well, all slated to speak with the media today. So should be plenty more coverage as the week goes on. Let's shift to basketball for a little bit. I don't know how much of you guys watched the NBA on uh, on Tuesday night, but Kevin Durant had the kind of game that just makes you sit back and say, "What? What? What did he just do?" Okay, so let's let's start. Let's just go with the, the raw numbers. Um, here we go: forty nine points, seventeen rebounds, and ten assists. But to me, the biggest number of all was forty eight. Kevin Durant played. All 48 minutes in basically a must-win game. They're tied 2-2 with Milwaukee in the series. It's back in Brooklyn. They get down early. They're down 16 at halftime. James Harden had come back in this game, but obviously he's rusty. He shot 1 for 10 in that game, including 0 for 8 from three-point range. No Kyrie Irving. You know, Joe Harris shot 2 for 11. They got some help from Blake Griffin and from Jeff Green off the bench. That certainly was were other keys, but Kevin Durant carrying the Nets against a really good Milwaukee team. I mean, Giannis had a good game, too. He had 34 points, 12 rebounds. I mean, it wasn't Giannis's fault. Um, other guys on Milwaukee had good games, too. It was just Durant, just unbelievable in that game. 49-17-10. and 10. They're up 3-2 in that series now. Durant, if you, if you didn't believe it already, which you should have anyway, one of the greatest, 10 greatest of all time in this league, coming back from those injuries, coming back to perform in that way, basically saving their season. If they lose that game, I don't like their chances in game six in Milwaukee. Now I do like their chances of advancing to the conference finals, maybe getting healthy, maybe getting themselves into the finals, winning it all like they wanted to. But it could have all stopped on Tuesday night, if not for Kevin Durant. Let's end with the cooler. Uh, Phil Miller's story about uh, MLB cracking down on Pitchers cheating and um, getting twins reactions to baseball planning to suspend pitchers for four game or for ten games. I thought it was interesting. Josh Donaldson had some good quotes about it, basically wanting to make it make the you know he's all he's all for pitchers getting better control over the ball, better grip. Wants to see kind of a uniform procedure for for MLB. Get all some get all the smart guys in the room. I think is something like he said. Um, I liked it. It was it was thoughtful. It was you know it wasn't like hey these guys are all all jerks you know let let let's find a way to make this fair if we can to make sure that everybody's having uh, you know having a chance to to pitch well. The Taylor Rogers quote is the one that that was really interesting because I thought he 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 admitted that he dabbled in you know finding an edge one spring training. He said I didn't like it immediately so I kind of threw it aside. He said. But I can't say if I was sitting there five years ago teetering on the fence of whether you're a triple-A pitcher or a big leaguer and you need more spin rate, I can't say I wouldn't at least try it. Interesting. Just an interesting admission, um, interesting window into the mentality of a pro athlete. I don't like it. I don't like the idea that these guys think that, you know, some sort of edge that's illegal is something that they can just kind of have some wiggle room with. But I guess that's the mentality of an athlete. I'm not saying Taylor Rogers is, you know, a, a bad guy in this. I think he he ends up being a good guy in this story. I'm just saying if that's the mentality of the good guys, what's the mentality of the really bad guys in sports? That'll do it for today. Show number 100 coming up on Thursday to celebrate Chris Hine first time a first five-time guest will be on to talk a little bit of Wolves, set up the draft lottery drawing in a few days, get you an update on the ownership, and we'll have some fun on that show as well. Thanks so much for joining me today. We'll catch you again on Thursday.